0: All right, so I am uncharacteristically, or perhaps characteristically, I don't know, you can tell me, really excited to talk about the two Voyager episodes this week, but but to start off this episode of the podcast, uh, episode 297... Oh,
1: God. Oh, my God, we're about to have... Really? Really? We're about to have episode That's why I mentioned three- it, yep. Oh, we're, Jesus. We're, we're
0: coming very, very close to the 300th episode. Oh, Jesus. Uh, but anyway, I kind of wish 30 Days had been the 300th episode, because that would have been a nice little symmetry, but we've got a good one coming up anyway. Uh, so thirty days is a really interesting episode. It has a lot to say about Tom Paris's evolution over the past four and a half years, all that kind of stuff. But I have a very important question for you, which is: Does Star Trek understand time? Because <laughs> at the end of this episode, Belana Torres says to Tom Paris after he is released from solitary confinement that uh, they will meet for dinner at o seven hundred hours, and o seven hundred hours is in yeah. fact seven o'clock in the morning. So unless she's working a twenty-four hour shift, I, I don't mean, think they're going to be meeting for dinner. Then,
1: my understand. I I guess I figured you know she gets she's getting off of work at five in the morning. She has, but he the, got
0: released in the morning. So basically, she's like, let's have dinner in twenty-four hours.
1: Something yeah, about so. that just doesn't like. Why wouldn't they just have dinner when she's off? Then, you know. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think maybe they think it means 7 o'clock in the, af- in the evening. They I might... think they do, too. Yeah, and that's nice well, of them. It's... Listen, <laughs> this is a science fictional space thing, so you can accept that there's telepathy and ships that have faster-than-light drive and crystalline entities, but you can't accept that somebody would be having dinner at 7 in the morning. You are the worst of nerds.
0: No, I can accept that someone's <laughs> having dinner at 7 o'clock in the morning. I just can't accept this person having dinner at 7 o'clock in the morning.
1: Okay, that's fair. Anyway, I liked
0: this episode. I I don't know. I'm feeling pretty good about Voyager this season. I know that yeah. you have been a little... I don't know if lukewarm is the right term, but you certainly have not been as in love with it as I have been. Uh, you know, I have gone on record as saying that the Brian and Braga seasons of the show are my favorite. I think this is the a really interesting version of the show. We are now 10 episodes into the season. So I think you're kind of getting a handle on what the Brian and Braga seasons of Star Trek Voyager are. And both of these episodes are very high concept. Uh, yeah. And 30 Days works pretty well, even though I have some quibbles about it. But overall, I think it's a solid... Episode.
1: Well, one of the things that you uh, said a little bit is that Braga is a little more comfortable with giving the show a bit of a backcast, and uh, for example, the stuff that he's done with Naomi Wildman. And in this episode, we finally, after about five years, meet the Delaney sisters. They've been a running joke since yes. almost the first episode. I think they are first mentioned in like episode two or three or something like that. And now they, they now they're actual characters. I don't know if we'll see them again, but we just might, and I think that's kind of cute. The next episode remembers that Vorak is around, remembers that Suter was on the station, remembers th- – there uh, is a lot more to remember that there are other people on the ship besides the main cast members, and I'm starting to see more of that, and I'm starting to like more of that. We're never going to have a fully populated version of Voyager. We're never going to meet those – you know, many of the 120 other people on the ship this is not going to be a Simpson style large world uh show, but it's a lot less hermetic now it's feeling yeah a, I Voyager is feeling I, I, a little more like an actual community in this way
0: yeah I would agree with that I think that that's actually one of the things that I, I think the Brian and Braga seasons do the best it, it really does make Voyager because if you if you think about it right like these people have been flying through space for four and a half years at this point, they they would be developing a community yeah. and they would be developing some societal norms and all these kind of things. I mean, I'm sure
1: yeah. that
0: any anthropologists listening to this podcast have a lot of ideas about what they would like to study if Star Trek Voyager was actually real. And I mean, I, I, I kind of feel like at least in terms of this episode, you know, so this is, it's, it's interesting you say consi- kind of less hermetically sealed because this episode is almost exactly the opposite no, and- of that uh, because Tom Paris is literally sealed up in the brig. But, and I have quibbles about like, would Starfleet actually use solitary confinement? How, because solitary confinement is widely viewed as, yeah, if not outright torture, then psychologically damaging. Um, so I have quibbles about that. I don't know that the... I don't know if the wokeness around solitary confinement was really there in 1997, 1998, so it's probably not that surprising. And also, Uh,
1: I will say, the episode does give him, even though he is only meeting with the Doctor for a couple minutes, uh, he is meeting with the Doctor. Uh, Harry Kim does visit him at one point. He's not spending much time in the fellowship of the rest of his crew, but people are checking in with him more than I think... uh, that then I think are checked up on in the real world. Uh, they, yeah, they... and
0: that was that was also weird. Like, why explicitly call it out as solitary confinement if what you show in the actual episode is not in fact solitary confinement? No, I know. Yeah, but there's I... a guy. There's a guy standing there the entire time uh, who is, of course, not talking to Paris, but but he is there. But um, I think
1: it's the. Uh, I, I mean, that to me does fit in with the. Federation's interpretation of punishment as we've seen it so far. Again, Federation prison camp is not horrible. They are going to be, it's more based on reform, more based on, you know, repairing your relationship with the community, and all that. It's not a punitive system. And so, solitary confinement for the Federation means you're sitting for 30 days and thinking about what you've done, but we're making sure you're fed and watered and uh, that. You're not going completely insane. If if he had, if, if Tom had really gone off the deep end, I'm sure they would have intervened at that point. They're making sure that he's all right. So I, I think it's the Federation soft and fuzzy version of that.
0: So so Starfleet solitary confinement is what a timeout?
1: Basically, I mean that that that, that does make I, sense. <laughs> well, you know, I be- mean,
0: I I think that I want to talk about this very briefly and then move on to to the more meat of the episode. But I I do. Th- I I do always kind of have an issue with this conception of punishment in this episode because the brig exists. You know, the original series used the brig. TNG used the brig. Deep Space Nine used the brig. Uh, If I remembered anything about Star Trek Enterprise, I'm sure that I would remember that they had a brig at some point. Discovery has had a brig. Uh, But... In terms of the it's interesting to me because in terms of the punishment in this episode, it is very clearly telegraphed and and sort of broadcast i think to the twentieth and twenty first century audience watching this show that Tom Paris's confinement is 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 very, very severe is this is a very serious form of punishment. This is not, he's going to be in the bridge for three days. You know, we don't know what he did until the end of the episode, which I think is an interesting choice. This is an in media race episode telling it the story backwards. Uh, So we don't know what he did to deserve this kind of punishment. And like I said, I mean, I think that the episode does do, it's really interested in telegraphing that this is a very serious punishment, but It's just weirdly done because it doesn't seem all that serious. You know, Tom Paris can get reading material. Tom Paris is able to write a letter. Tom Paris has visitors. Uh, But they also do weird things like he's basically eating bread and water. I just, I don't know how I feel about that. I'm not sure how it really squares with the Federation penal philosophy that we have seen in Star Trek. I don't necessarily think it's a problem, but I just think it's
1: odd. Well, I mean, one of my notes is that 30 days in demotion to Ensign seems like he got off light compared to what he actually did, which was, again, for. We will all agree that Tom Paris goes into. He makes his stand with the noblest of intentions. It may have even been the morally right thing to do, but he also does something that is going to put a lot of people in danger. I mean, they explicitly say that there are workers that need to be evacuated from this power plant or whatever. Um, he disobeys a direct order several times. He 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 is at the point where his captain is ready to fire on him to prevent the collateral damage. That This is a major thing that he does, and it almost seems like, again, demotion to Ensign and 30 Days is mild, and in the very next episode, he's back on the bridge. I mean, it's... I I, I I think the show is not... I mean, the show is not really interested in a working model of justice in the Federation. I think that might be to... No. No, I, I, I think that might be a little bit to its detriment because I think that is an interesting uh, question. How do we... It, If we accept that criminal justice is something that needs to be addressed in every single society, but we have a fair society which is going to do that in the most ideal way that is the best way, what is that going to be? And again, we've seen glimpses of that throughout the franchise. Again, it's reformative rather than punitive and all of that, but I am interested – I would be interested in, for example, the novel that takes place in the Federation prison camp.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a couple different things going on here, right? Is that number one is that Voyager is is more interested this season in playing around with at least a little bit in uh, the, the the sort of the tropes of what people come to understand um, Star Trek Voyager being one ship alone in the Delta Quadrant, having to to come up with um, new and inventive ways to to get around problems yeah. and. Uh, on the one hand, you could say that's odd because that seems like something the show kind of forgot in the Jerry Taylor years, but it's bringing it back again. I don't really have a problem with it. I enjoy that stuff. And I do think that there is something to be said for the fact that what Tom Paris did while it was by the book really, really serious and bad um he was trying to do the right thing. And of course, I I think, I think Janeway even thinks he was doing the right thing. It's just that Janeway's hands are tied because she decided to follow the prime directive that week. But I, but I also think that, you know, the other part of it is that, which, which complicates things is that Voyager once again is, is a ship, is a culture even with limited resources. And, the, the types of punishment that limited resource cultures can get away with as opposed to a rich society like the federation or like you know America right um i mean I don't know how much I want to get into a conversation about the legal system in punitive measurements but you know i do think it's interesting that and i do not support the death penalty for instance i i don't think it's it's moral I think it's barbaric but At the same time, I do think that death penalty opponents will say, well, there's no good reason for the death penalty. And, you know, it kind of depends on what you view the good reason to be. Uh, You know, if you're like a 16th century colony, uh, I mean, there might be a good reason for the death penalty because you can't really afford to keep someone alive who isn't contributing to the survival of the colony
1: and in many Uh, cases may even be i i I think it goes beyond not contributing It, it it would be actively damaging if you have somebody who is a thief in a very limited resource colony then that's fucking up the resources for everybody and that's going to hurt much more people and i i i think it's a degree of yes murder is a serious crime and a sin but at some point the state has determined that the to to allow this person to live is going to do more harm than killing them in a way, in terms of moral culpability, in terms of the damage to the community and all of that. Um
0: Yeah, yeah, which which I will which I will once again strongly yeah.
1: under, underline that I do not believe that that is no, true of for course.
0: a twenty first century Western nation. But me neither aside yeah, from but... that I think that Well yeah, yeah, sure. But I but I think that what's interesting about this episode in particular is that I I don't necessarily think that Tom Paris's punishment is lenient. I think it's probably as harsh as they could get away with, because Voyager's oh. not in a position to lock up their best pilot for 10 years.
1: Yeah, they can't. They, they, Tom Paris is a massive resource that they need to use, and they also, I mean, they do recognize, Janeway does recognize, this is not the Tom Paris of old that goes off half cocked and just kind of does whatever, and is going to fuck up a lot. In other words, this is not going to happen next week. Tom Paris is not going to steal the shuttle probably ever again. This was in this one time he decided that this is too important to worry about. He's willing to make that sacrifice in order for a greater ideal. And that's not a situation that comes up every day for Paris. And Janeway does recognize that.
0: Yeah, I I think that's right. And I, I think the other... The other key part of this, of course, is something that the episode mentions explicitly, which is that Tom Paris didn't want to be in Starfleet. And it revisits this idea that Tom Paris didn't want to be in Starfleet and that it was really his father's influence that pushed him there. Now, you know, I I don't know if you really consider it to be a retcon or not that Tom Paris wanted to join the Navy. Like, sure. okay, there's a Navy and he wanted to join it. Okay, fine. I don't have a problem with that. Um, He's kind of i mean is tom paris a hipster i feel like tom paris i is mean a hipster. he anyway. comes
1: off as somebody who you know he wants to join the coast guard but his dad is a marine and he forces in like that that's you know where they that's where i took that going and that actually oh is, yeah yeah no that exactly actually, that's
0: that's exactly what it is yeah but it does make a lot I, I of sense for him
1: yeah i i i again yes we haven't heard that before but tom paris was never I love Starfleet. I'm going to be the greatest Starfleet person. He was doing poorly enough in Starfleet that he ended up getting a prison camp. I mean, it's not like he was thriving in Starfleet to to begin with. So it makes sense that it wasn't what he wanted to do.
0: Yeah, and the episode plays around with that because it's really interesting in that I don't know. I I think that's that that Tom Paris. I struggle with the character of Tom Paris sometimes because I think in episodes like um like vis-a-vis, right, where he was suddenly like completely disenchanted with his wonderful life. Uh that didn't really ring very true to me. Um but this episode rings very true to me. This is an episode which is honoring the character development of Tom Paris yeah. while at the same time understanding where he started the show, his background and where he came from and and saying yes he is still the same person he is still the same uh he is still the same person who who doesn't really respect authority frankly i i think that he well it's not even that he doesn't respect authority no, i think it's I mean well tom, tom paris has some daddy issues right okay we'll <laughs> we'll put that out there i mean there's a reason why the framing device of this episode is him narrating the story of what happened to in a letter to his father but at the same time Tom Paris is someone who will not just blindly follow authority. No. He wants he wants a reason
1: and authority needs to be this earned episode, for him.
0: Yeah, authority needs to be earned and he needs to understand the reasons for why he's being you know ordered yeah. to do something. And this is very I think this episode is very consistent with the character that we have come to know.
1: Yeah, because it's not I I I mean Tom almost naively thinks he can get around with doing that, uh, but he thinks the conflict is between him and this planet's government, in a way, that that it, that's the authority that he recognizes. He does recognize Janeway's authority. He's recognized that on many occasions. He's been recognizing it since season one, and he does understand why she's saying no on this. He does—he knows, for example, that— they're strapped for resources. Again, this is another situation where Picard would send a couple fleets and everything would be fine. They would send a team to figure it out. Uh, Voyager can't do that. Voyager has no muscle to they, – they don't have any resources. There's no other council members they can talk to, and he recognizes the pragmatic elements of Janeway's decision to say we've told them what we can what we we've told them what we think we've done everything we can we can't do anymore we can't change their mind we have to move on and hope they'll figure it out because that's all we can do that's that's what we got and again I think he understands that and frankly I think he almost assumes he's gonna this is a suicide mission for him it's unstated in the episode but I don't think he thinks he's coming back
0: yeah i I would agree with that, and I think that for for me this episode is so interesting because you know Tom Paris bonds very easily with people i mean this is very yeah. similar his little his little friendship with the alien um uh, alien scientist i think is very reminiscent of a lot of other episodes he's had like a vis or you know how he sort of like just attaches himself to these people and he's very gregarious he's very friendly I'm sure he's fun to be around and he's a handsome he white dude
1: he's comfortable everywhere he goes, yeah
0: well yeah exactly <laughs> um but he's also he's also very i think conflicted he's he's an unhappy person to some degree and he's i think very uncomfortable with the you know he's very uncomfortable with his life i think in a certain sense and I think that he is someone who has really turned his life around. The show has made that explicit over and over again. He's got this really good relationship with B'Elanna, or so we are led to believe. I have no evidence that that is the case (laughs) because I do not believe in the existence of straight people. Um, But at the same time, he... I don't know. Tom Paris, to me, strikes me as someone who is really... Is mostly okay 95% of the time with being like a mid-level executive at a bank... But then there's that 5% of the time where he remembers how much he really liked you know, playing guitar or something yeah. and deciding that he wants to write a novel. And he thinks he's more important than he
1: is, really. Well, yeah. he. I mean, he's... Tom is very ambivalent, I would say. Because, yeah, he is at the point where he looks on paper and he... Reco- I mean, Tom Paris is growing up. He's dealing with a lot of growing pains. He's in his... He, he, I mean, he's in his thirties now, right? Like he, he's around. Yeah, he's he's
0: he's getting hair in weird places. At some point, cracking. yeah.
1: At some point in the series, he's turned thirty, and he's at the point where he's not a kid anymore. He's, and again, he You're right. He looks at it on the one paper and he thinks. Five years ago, I was in a Federation prison camp. I had nothing. Everything I did, I fucked up, and nobody really liked me, and I was doing everything I can to get the approval of my dad, who refused to give it. Now, yes, Delta Quadrant, things suck in that way, but I've managed to get very good at my job. I've impressed my captain and everybody around me. I have a girlfriend. I have friends. I have a social life. I'm good at what I do. This is... I mean, in some ways, he can look at that and say, yes, everything I've worked for has led to this moment. This is – he's beginning to reap the fruits of everything he's sown. But he's also recognizing he's not a kid and certain opportunities have lost themselves. He may not really care most of the time about the fact that he didn't get to be a Navy man. And this episode, especially at the beginning, he's – Doing it in a way for fun, like, oh, I didn't get to do this. Now I get to have a little Navy adventure, and that'll be fine. And for the most part, that is fine. But there is also the wondering, gee, what could have been? I mean, he does – he's at the age when he wants to go back in time and be 22 again and do everything over except better this time. And I think he's just not yet at the point where he's learned to relax about that.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's right, because I mean, I, I'm glad you mentioned the, the Navy thing again, too, because that's the other thing I wanted to say is that, you know, really implicit in all this is, is that it's just really an accident that it's this particular set of circumstances that they come across. You know, this could have easily been just any planet, and I don't think he would have had this reaction, because this is tapping into something very, very primal and and childish, frankly, or childlike, I guess is a better term. Uh that he he recognizes he wants to protect, he he, I think, in fact, maybe even really desires and loves this this ocean, you know? And
1: yeah, he's it, literally little... saving the ocean in this episode.
0: Right. And and I think that's really interesting. I, I I don't I would not go so far as to say that this is like a strong psychological character study for Tom Paris, but it does yeah lean in that direction i think
1: yeah it's some. It's, it's an episode that certainly understands who tom paris is very much and if most of the episode is tom the adventures of tom paris and it's not going deep into his psychological profile well the writer knows this they just didn't put that right. in the episode
0: well and also i think too that there's only so much you can do yeah. with that because tom paris is in jail um but the other thing, too, is that, you know, leaving aside the Tom Paris stuff, I mean, this is a yet yet another example of Voyager being really interested in just showing us weird shit. Yeah. And, like, on the level of Star Trek Voyager is the first, you know, live-action Star Trek series to really be able to show us a wide variety of weird shit because of the relative inexpensiveness of of CGI effects yes. on the television budget by this point. Um it's it's nice. I mean, I think that whatever else you can say, this episode has a lot of really inventive ideas about what it wants to show us, and and also that it has a point of view. You know, I think that it's it's trying to say something about the environment. Is it the most you know revelatory message? Well, no, but it's at least something.
1: Yeah, and I think that is a that might be a theme of the Braga years is this environmentalism again, which late 90s that is very in tune with a lot of what was being talked about at that point um but yeah I, I i mean that whole thing with the electric eel creature in the bottom that's i love creaturey stuff and they have the opportunity to just kind of go with it and show us a weird sea monster i mean it's it's i i it's it's a fun episode in that way
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, really what it comes down to for me is that, you know, Tom Paris and this, this Manan, uh, you know, alien civilization, um, you know, kind, I mean, it it might be a little bit of a stretch, but I think there's a little bit of parallelism in the script because, you know, Tom Paris is a person who has a good life, but is sort of like uneasy about it. The Manans have a good life, but they're uneasy about the fact that they are destroying their habitat and, and both of them sort of blow it up in a sense. And, It's an interesting way to look at it. I'm not sure how far you can take it necessarily, but I don't know. Voyager is trying to do something, and I I appreciate that.
1: Well, I'm really glad you mentioned parallels because what this episode to me has a lot of parallels and reminds me of is In the Pale Moonlight. This is Voyager's mirror of In the Pale Moonlight. It is the exact opposite of that episode, and it's structured in pretty much the same exact way. Uh, I'm not sure if there's anything to that, but they all begin with a flashback. Gee, how did I get into this mess? Uh, Cisco in the form of a log, Paris in the form of a letter to his father talking about this, making this decision that may not be the wisest decision or the best decision, but they both feel themselves backed up against the wall. And this is what they've decided to do. And they'll deal with the consequences I guess what really clicked that for me is the fact that they end in the exact opposite way with Cisco deleting the log and deciding that this remains with me everything that happened is going to be a secret. I and this episode ends with Tom not deleting the letter but in a way going out of his way to make sure it gets sent or trying to at least.
0: And yes, I found that very yes. interesting.
1: I mean this is something yeah, that Yeah but I also I mean Cisco is Obviously, Cisco deletes the letter because deletes his log because of reasons of secrecy. This can never be found. This would be so bad if somebody else found this, and let's cover the tracks. And also because he's a little bit almost ashamed of what he did. Again, this was the decision I had to make. It was not an easy decision to make. I'm sticking with it, but this was a difficult decision, and I'm not quite proud of it. Tom sticks to his guns. He has gotten to the point where he's able to justify his actions to the father that he was never able to justify any other actions to. This is somebody who couldn't even justify to his dad the career he wanted. And he's been able to figure out how to stick up for this decision he made, which is, again, Daddy Paris would hate this, hate hate knowing that his son was in jail, hate knowing that his son did this. This would be mortifying to him, at least if, tom is at all accurate in his conception of his father um and yet tom has i i think the big moment for tom is recognizing that no i would not have done this differently i i i made my decision and this was the right decision for me to have made at that time
0: well, then it's, a gr- it's growth for Tom Paris, too, of course, yeah. right? Where, you know, I, I don't know that we can necessarily say that he accepted um, the, the punishment that was made out to him or met out to him, uh, you know, at the beginning of, 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 the, of the series, right, in Caretaker. I mean, we didn't have a, a huge context for why he was in prison, but he didn't seem happy to be there. He, he obviously didn't seem like he really thought Wasn't he should it? be there.
1: I seem to remember it being a very similar situation, at least in that he disobeyed an order that was given to him. Uh, yeah, I don't It was something... I don't know
0: that I ever really got into the specifics. I think some of that probably yeah. bled over from the fact that the character of Tom Paris was supposed yes. to be the character of Locarno from the first duty, that TNG episode. Um, but it but... did
1: – yeah, it seemed like he was given an order to do something. He had a crisis of conscience and disobeyed the order. And yeah, sure. Whether it was uh, a legitimate crisis, whether it was a legitimate moral decision he made, or whether it was more – Yeah, well, I didn't like that guy, and he told me to do something and fuck that guy. Like, I think the younger Tom, Tom Paris of seven, eight years ago was the fuck that guy, Tom Paris. I'm going to disobey this order. And this is, again, doing the same thing, but doing it because he has a, there is a strong moral stake that he feels here.
0: Well, yeah, but also the the fact of the matter is that, that he accepts yes. the, the consequences of his actions, which yeah, it's true. is not something that, that he was good at before.
1: Yeah. Well, he is growing up. All
0: right, up. well. <laughs> Aw. like growing up.
1: It's weird. This cast feels much – in general, feels much younger than any of the other casts. I feel like they they were all around-ish the same age, but this, this – and maybe it is just because 60s television didn't really have character arcs in mind when it was done. TNG needed to have um, the characters getting along all the way, and they needed to not really have too many flaws, so they didn't really have any room to grow. Uh, DS9 was dealing with some, in a way, very sophisticated and adult situations. They're dealing with politics, They're de- and so it felt like an older, more sophisticated cast in that way. Um but here, yeah, everybody feels like they're on that cusp of adulthood and they're becoming full adults over the course of the series. You know, Tom kind of is where the rest of the... T- is going is getting to the point that the rest of the TNG cast was when we st- met them. Like, he's gonna be Will Riker someday, maybe, but he just has a little more growing up to do.
0: He's gonna be a Will Riker in Encountered 4.0, only he's going to be 50.
1: Yeah. mm. <gasps>
0: All right. Well, I think that's all we can say about 30 days. We're going to move on to Counterpoint in just a minute, but we do want to take an opportunity to remind you, listening to this, that this podcast is supported by you, the listener. If you would like to give us a little bit of your hard-earned money each and every month, please go to patreon.com slash trackaboutshow and give now. All right. Let's talk about Counterpoint.
1: Oh, my God. This episode was so good. I, I... I don't. I. I. I feel like it will be good on a rewatch, but for my first time through, it felt like there was a twist every five minutes. Like I loved this. Yeah. Ideas. I, yeah. Like they. 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 It, for the first half of the episode, they keep taking the premise and then dropping the bottom out. Number one. Okay, we're in a very uh, controlled area of space, and there's people monitoring us. Okay, they. Hate telepaths, so obviously they're doing some way of hiding Tuvok and Vorak and everybody else. Okay, how are they doing that? And then we recognize, well, they're smuggling some telepaths through. Okay, now it's a cat and mouse thing. Then Kashuk, uh defects. Okay, is he legit or not? And all of that. And it is really – every time you get a handle on where this episode is going, they dig it deeper. And I really like it. Yeah, yeah.
0: it's, it's- – it's really great. And I think that I mean, I'll just ask you this outright, that that final um, you know, final twist of the knife that Cassock that was playing this the whole time. Were you surprised by that?
1: You know, I didn't it, it could have gone either way. So one thing that I do know about Voyager is they get at least one more recur. Cause I seem to remember uh a couple months ago, I think it may have been even Discovery, there was some Star Trek actor who was like talking all about alt-right stuff and yay Trump and it was this thing and uh so as far as I know it could I don't know I don't know who the actor is I don't know who the character is but as far as I know it could be this guy he could be a new cast member that they're putting on to the show yeah he could very legitimately be a love interest for Janeway and yes we'll only see him six more times over the course of the series but that's fine um And yet there is also a, you just can't trust this guy either because especially after the episode has given us a couple of twists, you can't trust anything. And I mean, I thought it was, I, when it was being very obvious that he was, you know, showing his true colors and like, all right, I've been playing you the whole time. I kept thinking in my head, oh my God, I really hope Janeway saw this and how badass she comes off and. Because, yes, yeah, she did not trust him for a second either. She has all those contingencies. I mean, it reminded me almost of the end of Scorpion, that she has a plan in her back pocket because the, she knows what ship she's on. She knows what luck she's had, and she's not going to be caught without an extra plan.
0: Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, I, I, I think that what's, what, is, what is so fascinating about Counterpoint is that, well— it, it's kind of one of the one of the best examples of Star Trek episodes where the the plot itself is well constructed it's, it's yeah. very entertaining it, it has a lot of surprises um, but you don't you don't really want to talk about the plot too much I mean there's just so much uh, there's so much character stuff going on here and it's it's got sort of a I think what's interesting about Brian and Braga's season also, which is I think Counterpoint is making me realize this is that there's sort of a swagger to the show now. Um it, hmm. it's got some style to it, which I don't think was necessarily true before he uh uh got promoted to be showrunner. You know, it, 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 Bourbon era Star Trek is many things. I don't think well, stylish is a word I would use for it, but there are there's a lot of really really um I mean the, the the musical cues in this episode, and just the way in which Kashik is being played here, by oh, the actor, the-, the way in which Janeway is 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 being played by by Kate Mulgrew here, um, there's sort of an urgency to the episode that that feels very very different and very new. The way and- the
1: beginning inspection scene is seen is filmed with the classical music going and these really quick cuts and weird angles. Like I. I- feel like I have not, I'm have not the film guy. I don't notice this stuff as well, but I feel like we've really not seen that style of filming, that level of kind of artistry in filming, because for the most part, I mean, Star Trek is filmed like a 90s television show. Uh, this is not, for example, The X-Files, which is trying to go into a more artistic direction with uh, the way that it shows look, with its direction. And... This was an episode yeah. that put a lot of focus into the direction of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, as a general rule, uh, uh, Berman Era Star Trek is is not a series. It's going to be using a lot of crane shots, a lot of sweeping <Yeah>. shots. <laughs> is isn't really going to be playing around very much with with like shot reverse shot and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's very sort of basic. Not to say that you know the the directors and DPs and everyone that worked on on the show were were not professionals doing a fantastic job. They were, but. You know, there, there's just a speed here. I, I don't know how long it took them to film an average episode of The X-Files, but, you know, they were banging out episodes of Star Trek Voyager in yeah. six days. And that's insane, frankly. Yeah. And, and you know, the the fact of the matter is, like, the fact that uh, a television, until they started, like, really, you know, tamping down the number of episodes and, and letting them film over longer, uh, you know, having, having the production take a little bit longer... Um, and frankly, it's a wonder that that television shows are are, are any good at all. But I I think that I want to the one thing I want to talk about before we start to engage more with the episode is that what something that's very uh coincidental about uh, this episode is that you were mentioning In the Pale Moonlight in conjunction with 30 Days, and this episode was written by the man who wrote In the Pale Moonlight.
1: Okay, I mean, uh yeah who who is that
0: it's michael taylor we haven't talked about him he he only wrote a few episodes of ds9 he wrote uh the visitor he wrote things past resurrection which um if i recall correctly was not very good and he writes a lot of episodes for uh voyager i think this was his i'm not sure maybe this was his first script or second script for the show um I mean, certainly these are very different episodes. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think this episode is as good as in The Pale Moonlight, for sure. No, but, but that
1: might be one of the finest episodes of Star Trek, the franchise, so.
0: Yes. <laughs> um, but he's, he's someone to watch, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, because he yeah. has some very particular talents, and I think that he, as he gets more and more invested in writing for Star Trek Voyager, you're going to see his name pop up more and more.
1: Is he any relation to Jerry Taylor? I don't know. Huh. It might be a coincidence. I have no idea. Yeah, it's not like it's an uncommon name or anything. I'm just, you know, curious. I guess one of the things that I appreciate about this or I found interesting is this society that they're against has this paranoid fear of telepaths, right? Like, it's implied that almost that their entire society is based around hunting down telepaths or certainly a very large part of their society is based around the sphere of telepathy. And this is nobody till this point has really ever had a problem with telepaths in this universe. Uh, For the most part, everybody has just been like, okay, that's a thing. I mean, for example, I'm thinking about Babylon five from the very beginning, S- sets up that yes telepaths exist they are very people are very suspicious about them it's a weird thing people feel very imbi- like they go into that that is definitely a focus but in Star Trek certain species have telepathy to different degrees and everybody's pretty okay with that sometimes they'll have a little bit of internal rules in the society but nobody has a problem and Yet here we are. I mean, he gives this grand speech about you can never tell what they're thinking because they can read you immediately and they don't have any trust. This from the guy, by the way, who is spending his entire time seducing the captain in order to get some information about her, which is, you know, an obvious irony of the episode. But in the Federation where everybody is acting in good faith, I think you can uh, expect telepaths to play nicely and do this right and not pry and all of that and this is another episode that recognizes society in the delta quadrant is going to be very different and of course there there are going to be societies that are just absolutely terrified of telepaths for that reason it is a very dangerous thing in the wrong hands these people were very hurt by a telepath at some point
0: (laughs) i yeah i mean i think that's right and i I don't, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't really find telepaths in Star Trek to be to be no. super interesting, only because Star Trek isn't very interested in them. I think telepaths are one of those vague sci-fi yeah. things that Star Trek stuck in there because, well, it's science fiction, and so they're going to have telepaths. And they don't really ever engage with the idea. They don't really ever think about it critically or, or anything yeah. like that. In it's, the case, not. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, Vulcans are telepathic, but they don't ever really do anything with that information. But I would even say that the the, the Star Trek conception of telepaths is very unfocused because this episode makes it clear that the refugees that Voyager is carrying are actively reading the minds. And they make that very clear when Neelix is telling the story to the children and he basically says, you know, oh, well, it's not nice to read someone's mind while they're trying to tell you a story.
1: But that we that is also guess. I mean that that to me seemed to be implied that that's just the kid not having learned discipline in other words you you kids are not going to pay attention to social mores as it is kids are going to ask inappropriate questions kids aren't going you know and yeah so yeah but tele- seen
0: Vulcan children and they, we've never had any real True. conception that Vulcan children are running around reading people's minds but at I, the other I I I don't I don't think that Star Trek yeah. is is the, the the conception of Star Trek as as having telepaths is is a strange one because it does obviously, to, you know, Tuvok, Vulcans are a telepathic race, uh, Betazoids are a telepathic race, but they don't seem to remember that until it's necessary for the plot. And there's never really any indication given that like they're running around reading people's minds, except for maybe Lowox on a Troy making a lame sex joke. Uh, I don't know. I I mean. This is the rare example of Star Trek taking the concept seriously, and it's coming at it from a very oblique angle, of course, because it's coming at it from a sort of fascistic uh, alien culture that that is actively hunting telepaths who didn't didn't do anything wrong.
1: Um, But that also might be part of it, though, because we know in-universe the examples of telepathy we've had have been pretty mild. Uh, Tuvok is able to have telepathy, but... Usually only when the per- other person is allowing it. Um, we had that one telepathic species with Bolana having the emotion plague and all of that thing happening. Um, and there was the rage dealer and all of that, and that just made no goddamn sense. But um, in some ways, it seems like this But cult- that's—
0: but 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 I have to disagree with you because Vulcans are portrayed as telepathic as the episode needs them to be
1: yes and I I, I, I think that's there there fair.
0: have been at least one or two instances of scenes in the entire history of Star Trek where two two Vulcans are having a telepathic conversation with each other
1: yeah you're right it is by the it seems like the kind of thing that they wrote into an episode in 1967 because oh this would be cool we're gonna have tel- you know Vulcans are tele telepathic that's another cool feature of spock who is really cool and exotic and all of that and now we're married i mean frankly
0: i would be fine if there were no telepaths in star trek because i don't i i don't know telepaths just frankly don't interest me i don't even think they're possible but anyway
1: (laughs) no no um but i think the point of the episode is that they are this society is freaking out over really nothing Again, once these kids grow up and learn a little bit more mental discipline, and they won't be actively reading everybody's mind. Uh,
0: well, yes, but I mean, I think you're falling into a little bit of of a trap there because whether or not they had a good reason for like hunting telepaths to extinction yes. or not, uh, it's not good. I mean, no, 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 like, no, no. That's fair. the The Nazis thought they had very valid reasons. <laughs> for... <laughs> exterminating no, six million jews but i i they, they i didn't
1: i'm not I, and you're right i'm not i'm not saying this to imply that uh they would be right if the telepaths were you know if we did get the backstory of that and it turned out they were decimated by te- no there is no real reason i think there is it, 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 in a way it would be as i've said a bunch of times about the dominion i can see a point where yes the changelings were being persecuted but at some point they crossed a line to where they became the oppressors and even if they had a legitimate reason to fear telepaths at some point this culture became the oppressors i guess the way i'm meaning it is they're doubly wrong because not only is it wrong to be hunting these people down they're hunting them down based on faulty information or on a faulty understanding of what telepathy is
0: I mean, I don't really want to belabor the point, but I, yeah. I, I, I think that's I think that's really a, a false. I, I would I would I would avoid that because I think feeding that into it is like saying, well, there were no, there was no good reason for Nazis to kill six million Jews, but I'm sure if they came up with one, it would be fine. Uh, you know, it, it's it's not a good thing, full stop. And I don't. That's think That's not to what I'm it. saying, but okay. <laughs> well, no, I know, but it's like that's that's very easily. You could you could read that into that very easily. I just think it's 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 much easier to say, these people didn't do anything wrong, treat it as on a case by case basis. If a telepath does something yeah. wrong, it's not because they're a telepath, it's because
1: they broke the yes. law. Um No, you people know, can and, be and spies it, without being telepaths. People can right, sabotage exactly. I mean, without it, being it's, telepaths. It's,
0: it's because this episode is, you know, we don't know a lot about the DeVore. We don't know a lot about their culture, aside from the fact that they're all very uh, paranoid and fascistic. Um, yeah. We don't really know anything about them, which I think is to the episode's credit, because yeah. we don't need to know anything about them. Uh, but they they are sketched very, very well, very quickly from a handful of scenes. And there is a... I think there's a there's a feeling all throughout the episode that that what Voyager is doing and what Janeway is doing. Um, I think what the reason why I like this episode so much is because it has almost sort of like a it's it, it is. I mean, in a lot of ways, I mean, I keep mentioning Nazis, but that's for a particular no, reason. It's true. Because in a lot of ways, this reads like uh, you know a 1940s World War II um, sort of sort of story where people are smuggling Jews out of Nazi Germany.
1: Yeah, and. He, obviously, Voyager has depicted Nazis before, and there is a lot of parallels with that. This is somebody who, I mean, we 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 had the Nazis in uh, what what, what was that episode in Killing Game? You know, appreciating <laughs> art and fine things and music and nice wine and all of that, and he's appreciating the music and the classical stuff and all of that and their literature and all of that. Again, the 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 trope of the, the ridiculously cultured Nazi is definitely a thing. And we are, we, they are playing with that very much here.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think the other thing too, that I I really appreciate about this episode is the the ways in which this is really a Janeway episode. Like we haven't had one of those in, in a while. And certainly there are other characters that are at the periphery. I think that, that, there's a lot going on in this episode, of course, as we've, as we've already talked about. But you know, at its heart, this is a. It's weird because I think it's a cat and mouse game. Kashik is playing Janeway. Janeway is playing Kashik. They obviously but. don't trust each other, but I think they want to, I guess. And and it's it's weird because I think this is an interesting episode in that Janeway is very clear that the fundamental nature of the federation is to trust people and so what do you do when you are confronted with a person coming to you and saying i want to defect i want to help you it's in the federation nature to say okay fine um but it's kind of taking it into a different a different direction because this is a trust but verify situation
1: yeah i mean she manages to her backup plan is one which I think is able to square the circle. In other words, if Kashuk were on the level and they were really having a romance and he really was trying to help these people, what would have at the end of it? Oh, oh, we're actually searching in the different area. Well, Jane, why? Why are we doing that? Listen, I needed to have a backup plan. He would understand that. He would understand what why she is doing that, and it's not as if it would breach anything. It would. They would move on. They would go through the real wormhole and get there, and it would be okay. And But the pitfalls of trusting him unreservedly uh, when he has given no indication to her that he is on the level when she really can't afford to have Federation blind loyalty, be blind trust in him, because this is another example where – nobody has voyagers back it's not as if they can call in a couple other ships it's not as if they can get other resources or get other people on it on to uh, onto this they are alone completely they have to waylay a they have to waylay a scientist on his way to a conference in order to get information they are so desperate in this episode
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and also too, I think that that it really does fundamentally speak to the to to the good nature of of Janeway. You know, I think yeah. that she's a character that we have had some 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 issues with, but I do think that this is an episode which goes a long way towards once again establishing that. Hey, you know, this is a classic Star Trek story. Voyager is finding some people that are in need of help. They are going to do everything they can in their power to help these people. And it is it is coincidental, but of course a lot uh, the result of a lot of hard work that the episode that is surrounding that core of an idea is is as stylish and as meaningful yeah. as it is because you know this could have easily been a very very rote episode and it's not at all. I mean, part of, part of that too is that that Kashuk and, and um, the actor who plays Kashuk and, and Catherine uh, uh, Mulgrew, Kate Mulgrew, have really good yeah. chemistry together, and you know Kashuk is very charming. Kashuk is someone who you probably is is fun to be around. You know, he yeah. he's able to play this role, and I say that specifically because that is what he is doing, um, very, very well. You can see why he is so good at what he does. Now it turns out of course that that he's a terrible person, but I think at least for Janeway, her feelings towards him are are
1: are are genuine. And Yeah, there is a I mean I think when he's in her ready room and playing the music and being all asshole commander, that's him playing a role, too. I think we do get some glimpses of who he's like when he's at home and his uniform is off and he's not needing to impress anybody. And the two of them do get along very well, and especially because now her thing with Mark has fully ended. He, Mark has moved on. Janeway is has, has said, you know, gee, now I can open myself up to other people. I was using him kind of as an excuse, but I need to begin to get on with my life and move, move on to the next thing. And it's a perfect time for her to get a love interest in that way. Okay, let's explore this side of Janeway's character. Let's see what she's like when she's dating somebody. And so there is this. Uh, like we're happy to see, we're we're happy to see the captain having a good time, and meeting and getting to know somebody. And so that is a, 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 and the fact that it is somebody who is handsome and charming and kind of works on the level to get with her, somebody that she works very well with, that she gets along with, that she's able to solve problems with. I mean, that's what we want for her, just as a as fans who are shipping a character, and that adds to the tragic dimension of that and I think watching this episode I don't think I I, I think Janeway is very reticent in the entire thing even when she finally kisses him there is a and especially the look she gives him after he, he, he leaves she is holding herself back from feeling this as fully as she might want to because she is very aware of where she is and what could happen and what the stakes are. And again, as she turns out, her caution is very well placed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I think what's, what's so interesting about how Janeway is, is acting in this episode um, is that for me, there's layers upon layers here, which is that, Janeway very much wants to believe Kashik. She very much wants him to to be on the up and up, to be on the level, to to, to be the person that she wants him to be that he says he is. You know, but but in the back of her mind, she's always thinking that it's a po- it's possible that he is not that person, that she is being very careful. And as it turns out at the end of the episode, she has yeah. um you know put forward and, and put into action this elaborate plan to get the refugees to, to safety. And I think her feelings are genuine to some degree. I think she's attracted to Kashik. I think she likes him. Um, I think that she is feeling something for him. But at the same time, and, and this is what is so interesting about it is that there is it's not it's not anger on the part of Janeway, and it's not she doesn't she's disappointed in a sense. She's yeah. kind of like oh really, really you're going to do that? Like okay, that's fine. <laughs> but I'm disappointed in you because the end of the episode is her essentially surprising kashuk you know she has not surprised him at all in the rest of this episode uh kashuk has surprised janeway at least twice now but now it's janeway's time to say oh you know you thought you were playing me the whole time but i'm playing you and or or even not it's not even that janeway is playing kashuk it's that she's not falling for hood
1: as much as he thinks
0: Right, right.
1: He's not as good at this as he thinks he is. You know what would help if he was telepathic? He would know. I mean, I, I think that's one of the other <laughs> fundamental ironies. Yeah. The guy who is anti-telepath is the one who is who is lying through the entire episode, who's being deceptive the entire episode, and he he is so cocky and confident in his own abilities, and this is another example of somebody miss on this is another example of somebody underestimating the Federation he sees all of their stuff he thinks oh these people are so naive they're so nice they're so good they're so trusting and genuine we don't even I don't even have to lift a finger I just need to go and show them one trap and then they'll 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 welcome me with open arms and tell me everything and in a way Janeway kind of Allows does not disabuse him of any of that notion, and that Federation naivete actually works for the Federation in a very big way because it— If you're going against a Romulan, for example, do you know how many how difficult it is to fool a Romulan? Well, maybe easier than we thought, than you think, because I guess we've seen examples of that. But no, you you don't go as heavily armed when you're tricking the Federation because the Federation is dumb, and that's the trap.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true.
1: I don't have much to say about him, but I did love the scientist and that effect where he like inflates his nose <laughs> that was one of the the coolest makeup yeah, things yeah. that i've seen in star trek like that that again you know cg has allowed them to be very creative and show a lot of things but the makeup department is also doing a really good job sometimes too
0: it, no it's very true and I, I i do think that again some of that must be under the influence of, of brian and braga yeah. because you know, once again, the Voyager just didn't do stuff like that, really. Um, yeah, b- before the fifth season, and and I think you know, it's it's putting a little bit of a different stamp on it, but it's it's a nice little effect, and I I, I like how it makes the Delta Quadrant feel different. You know, maybe that was yeah, it, he, that was a problem in the show. I don't know, but it, it it it's feeling different now.
1: He feels very alien. This is a an emotional react. This is a physical expression of an emotion that humans do not do that 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 Vulcans don't do that Klingons don't do it feels very different we've never seen any other species do this and yeah it's very clever and surprising
0: all right well I think we'll call it an episode if you have any thoughts on 30 days or counterpoint please leave a comment on the post for this episode at trackaboutshow.com As I said earlier, you can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. Patreon.com is a way for you to trade money in exchange for love, specifically our love. One of the things you might be interested in checking out there is our patron specials. The one that we released for May last week is on the movie Contact, and it also supports our other podcast tuning in. We are getting very close to wrapping up the fifth season of The X-Files, this week, we're going to be talking about the episodes All Souls and the Pine Bluff variant. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Truckabout Show is our username. And as always, please leave us an Apple Podcast review for Truckabout. All right, next week, we're going to be talking about the Star Trek Voyager episodes Latent Image and Bride of Chaotica.